There's plenty of bad news out there. How about some good news? The book of Proverbs says that good news from a far country is like cold waters to a thirsty soul. I'm glad you're listening, because I do have good news. It's from a far country, so get out a tall glass. My name is Dean Kirshner, and I'm part of the Ministry of Gospel Link. As you can tell by the name, Gospel Link is centered on the good news of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done, and what He is doing today. We couldn't find the right train. Why? Because we were in Moscow, Russia, and the scheduling board was in Russian. Now, by this time, I had lived in Russia for a couple years, so I could read the Russian language, and I could even carry on a conversation, so-so. But I think you have to be a graduate student of some university to understand the schedules at the train platforms in the Komsomolskaya station. Oh, how I love to plan an outing with my beloved fellow laborers. We would travel outside of Moscow and distribute Bibles. We felt like missionaries. Reuben Burwell, Paul Ratcliffe, Peter Rumley. Uh, we would dare out into the black morning with our backpacks bursting with New Testaments. I remember the day we went to Friazana. Scott Forrester embarked, looking like the hunchback of Notre Dame. He had so many Bibles on his back, he couldn't stand upright. I'll be all right, he said. Let's go. But we always took an interpreter with us. Of course, we needed someone who could talk with people who wanted to make conversation. And in the 1990s, there were plenty of Russians excited to converse with an American, let alone a Christian. We needed those translators also to help us with maps and directions. But honestly, one of the primary reasons I always took an interpreter with me on these outings was because without one, we couldn't get on the right train. To this day, I can't figure out how to read a Russian terminal schedule. It is like trying to read a Sudoku puzzle on an escalator in a foreign language. Oh, and all the while trying to compute military time into your head. That's not so bad in the morning, but it gets complicated after 12 o'clock lunch. So word to the wise, bring an interpreter to the train station. It was Sunday morning, and we had not done that. Thus, we couldn't find the right train. We were headed to Nimchinovka. It was one of our favorite Russian churches to attend, and we had been there before. I had double-checked with my good friend James Beard. Do you think we can get on the right train without an interpreter? James was fairly carefree and lackadaisical. Oh, no problem. We've done this plenty of times. Yeah, I answered, but we always have someone who can figure out the schedule and direct us to which branch of the terminal, which wing of the branch, which platform of the wing, and which train on the platform. Ah, uh, we got it, James assured me. Well, 
We got it all right. With confusion and embarrassment, James stared at the massive billboard where we thought we could catch the train to Nimchinovka. I stared at James, knowing this was going to end in futility. The pressure was on because we had a small team of trusting, expecting Americans in tow, trusting us to get them to church. They've changed it up, James explained. I think we should go over here and read this schedule. I disagreed. We needed to find our train. And you might ask at this point why we just didn't ask someone, but past experience assured both James and me that such an attempt in asking a passerby was actually more risky since not being able to figure out a schedule is far safer than blindly following unfactual directions. So it came to pass that I set out to find the train. And James and the team marched off to try and figure out another platform schedule. I was reticent to send the team with James, but minutes were precious and I needed to be free to run from train to train. Once I had found it, I figured I could double back and collect the group. This probably doesn't sound like a well-thought-out strategy to you. And, well, it wasn't. But we were in our 20s, and people who signed up to be on the team of James and Dean often did so for the adventure. So I'm running through different trains which were loading and imminently preparing to pull out. Being Sunday morning, things were not too crowded. So I would jump into a wagon and ask someone if this train was going to Nimchinovka. Usually, there was a blank stare, and I never knew if there was something wrong with my pronunciation or not. But usually, the Russian people only know where they are going and are oblivious to the other stops along the way. So when I asked for Nimchinovka, they literally blank out and try to think, Nimchinovka, Nimchinovka, uh, I have heard of that place. Typically, two women in their 50s would try to explain to me that, no, this was not the right train. But they kindly proceeded to tell me how to find that train. But then they disagreed with each other as to which platform I needed. And then they began talking to each other about it. And uh, this is another reason you should always bring an interpreter. One train. Two trains. The clock was ticking. And I was getting nowhere both literally and figuratively. I was breathing hard, for I carried a backpack with about 20 New Testaments that I had hoped to distribute on the train ride. And I could only wonder what I was going to do if I got separated from my team. In fact, what was I going to do if this train suddenly lurched forward and I was caught headed to Warsaw or Ivanovna? I entered into a wagon, and right away I noticed it was colder than it should have been. I saw two windows open, probably stuck, and as a result, no one was in the car. Great, I've got to run to the next wagon. More time lost. I said no one was in the car, but there was one man. The cold seemed not to bother him. I could tell at a glance that he worked outdoors. His clothing was worn, and he had that outdoors kind of look, as well as hat. He probably worked in Moscow during the week on some kind of construction site and then went back to his village home before Sunday. His appearance indicated to me that he wouldn't speak English and my Russian would probably only confuse him. So I intended to run past him into the next wagon and find another pair of 50-year-old ladies to confuse me. 
I was fully engrossed in my dilemma when the Holy Spirit prompted me. I want you to give this man a Bible. Dear Lord, I answered, I can't. I'm lost, and I'm trying to get to church on time. You have my precious word, and I want you to give this man one. <sighs> that means I have to stop, open up my backpack, try to explain why I'm giving a free gift, and what if this train suddenly departs? What about my team? What about getting to church on time? What about James? What about Nimchinovka? No, Lord, I said, I don't have time. I need to be responsible to my team and find the right train, but I will pray for that man. By now I had passed him, and he had not even glanced over as I walked by. Dear Lord, if you want this man to have a Bible, I pray that you would send someone to give him a Bible. The answer came clearly. I just did. That answer hit me like a slap in the face. I was in such a hurry. I had not even thought about the ridiculous nature of my prayer. Send someone to give him a Bible? I had 20 on my back. The greatest earthly treasure we have. This book that had been illegal in Russia a decade ago when this man was growing up. I thought to myself as I turned back, well, Lord, you better hold this train. I stopped, unshouldered my pack. He looked up at me curiously. I grabbed one of those blue, unadorned, paperback New Testaments and tried to act like I had time and patience as I passed it toward the laborer. Etetadarik, I said in Russian, which means, this is a gift. He was in no hurry and no surprise, but he did receive it from me, and as I rebuckled my pack, I told him that it was a Novi Zaviet, a New Testament. He never nodded but he thumbed through it until his large, work-worn fingers found the table of contents. It dawned on me that he didn't know what it was. New Testament did not mean a thing to this man. I was ready to resume my haste, but I said kindly, It's a Bible. It's a Biblia. He looked up at me questioningly. Do you know what a Bible is? I asked. There was a faint recollection glimmering on his face when he answered, I've heard of it. My heart melted. Only heard of it? Only heard of it? This great revelation of the Holy One, the history of the world, the word of the living God, and that this was the first time that this man had ever touched it? I leaned down and showed him from the table of contents some suggested places to read. Then I wondered if he would read it at all. I knew he probably spent most of his time trying to eke out a living, and he probably didn't read much. Maybe this New Testament would just sit on his shelf. So I asked him, will you read it? His answer came as sincere as it was simple. He nodded assuredly as he said, Abizatelna, which is a Russian slang kind of for absolutely. Good because I have to find my team. <laughs> uh, I love the Bible. The Spirit of God has spoken to me through His Word. In God's Word, I find wisdom. I read Jesus' words. In the Bible, I find promises that I have built my life around. And it's through His Word I learn about the grace I need when I fail 
to build my life around him. I always wanted to be a Gideon. Do you know about the Gideon's ministry? These men are great. Their singular goal is to give away Bibles. The Gideons get Bibles in motels, hospitals, schools, and foreign countries. I was only 22 years old when I set out to be a Gideon. However, a leading man in the Gideon chapter where I lived explained to me that the Gideons were not clergy. Gideons were men in the community, postal workers, businessmen, local government officials. He knew I had been in Bible college, so he assumed I was preparing for full-time ministry. But that didn't stop me from trying to be a Gideon. Since I was eight years old, I had always been enamored with the simple, direct approach of the Gideons. And so, I started my own little roofing business back in 1990. I kid you not, one of the key compulsions for me to go into my own business was so that I could become a Gideon. What happened? Well, the next year the Soviet Union collapsed. I went on a short-term mission trip that was supposed to last for eight weeks. It lasted for five years. And as a result, I went into full-time ministry. And God eventually led me to work with Gospel Link, supporting and equipping national preachers. But oh, while I was in Russia, our team gave away a quarter of a million New Testaments. 250,000. Now we didn't accomplish that in one year. It took a while, several years. But we had only paid seven cents per copy. Can you imagine? A spiritual treasure, inspired, God-breathed writing, seven cents a copy? You know, I hope that the Bible is not so inexpensive or so accessible for you that you have missed its worth. What are you doing to get God's word to the world? You could support the Gideons. Every year, people send money to Gospel Inc. designated to buy Bibles. And we get Bibles into the hands of national preachers in many countries. Mozambique, Vietnam, Kazakhstan, and Zambia. The icon photo for this episode shows me passing a Farsi Bible to a woman from Iran. This picture was not taken in Iran, but she and I met in a neighboring country. Like that Russian man on the train, the Bible I passed that lady was the first one she had ever owned. I never met Guan Duong personally, but he was a national preacher sponsored through Gospeling for several years before he passed away. His testimony was remarkable because it shows that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, Guan Duong lived in a closed communist country, and he was not in any way, shape, or form a Christian. In fact, he earned his money by working for the communist police force in the religious department. You know what that means? That's the department that patrols religion and any such expression and forces people to bow the knee to communist dogma. Plain and simple, Guan Duong's job was to find Christians and shut them down, close their churches, imprison their pastors, and confiscate their Bibles. I don't envy police officers. They have a hard job. They have to encounter evil every day, and I am grateful for law enforcement in our country and their stand for righteousness. In Guangdong's country, 
righteousness is not the goal. It is not justice for all. Power and control are the goals. Yet in his dealing with the wacky Christians, Officer Duong noticed something strange. In contrast to other criminals, the Christians were peaceful. Break up a bar fight and people are angry and swinging fists. Break up a church meeting, the Christians offer their wrists to the handcuffs. At a domestic abuse incident, people are swearing and threatening. But when Guan busted into a church service, the people were peaceful and submissive. Criminals, by and large, are proud, arrogant, and violent liars. The Christians were kind and gave glory to a god that Guan Duong did not believe in. Yet he could not escape the witness of the Holy Spirit. Something was different about these people. At first, it only made him curious, but the more he saw how they endured persecution, and the, the more it gnawed on him. What made them different? There was a stash of confiscated propaganda. You know, that old antiquated document they call the book, full of fairy tales and myths. Yet, this is what the Christians read and followed, and somehow they were different. One day, Guan Duong ventured in and procured one of those stolen, I mean confiscated Bibles. It wouldn't hurt to read it. It wouldn't hurt to know about the doctrine of the people we're trying to arrest, would it? It might even give some insights as to how to squelch their movement and their faith. Guan Duong was confident in his own mental strength. No, reading the Bible wouldn't hurt him. He was right. It didn't hurt him. It did change him, however. He learned that God was holy. This book confirmed what he already felt, that he was guilty. The stories told about someone named Jesus, a savior. He read about a reconciliation process that God initiated, a process that included blood and suffering, but one that concluded with resurrection and faith. Guan Duong repented and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Needless to say, Guan Duong did not retain his job on the police force, in the religious police department. When Gospel Inc. met Pastor Duong over 10 years ago, he had been serving in the ministry for many years. He had been serving the church that he once persecuted. He was pastoring and making an effort to plant more churches. More than one person volunteered from the United States to support Guan Duong through Gospel Link. And for the last seven years of his life, he had financial help that he had never dreamed of. He had a great testimony, which he used to share the gospel with hundreds of his countrymen, which to this day live in places where Bibles can still be confiscated. What are you doing to get God's word to the world? Oh, I know you're busy. I'm busy. I mean, we're Americans. But don't you want to do something eternal? Jesus said that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. His words are eternal. His word has made an eternal impact on my life, and I want to pass that on to others. You never know how a Bible might affect someone's life. 
I'm afraid that some of those 250,000 New Testaments that we gave away in Russia in the 1990s never got read. Or maybe some even got thrown away. But I know some that God brought to hearts of good soil. There was a Russian girl who was 19. She lived in Moscow. And our team gave her one of those New Testaments. She read a little of it, but she said she couldn't understand it. However, she knew that her little sister was learning the Bible from us. And so she began attending our evangelistic meetings at Float Skya on Saturday night. This young lady watched the lives of these American Christians and saw something different. She argued with biblical principles that we talked about. She said that they weren't real life. They were good ideas and good ideals, but they weren't real life. I think she kind of meant that she didn't know anyone who lived like that. Then one day, a special day, at least a special day in Russia, it's a holiday. March 8th, Zhensky Dien, International Women's Day. This young lady was sick. She had planned to attend a celebration with friends from her institute. There would be singing and laughter and celebration, but she was sick. Sore throat, bad congestion. She had to stay home, alone. And so she did, feeling sorry for herself. Her family had gone off to their grandparents to celebrate and she lounged around the flat, miserable. The little blue New Testament on the desk caught her eye. Nothing else to do, might as well, she thought. It had been over a year since she had received it and she had heard more teaching since then. Maybe she'd look through it again. She turned to the back of the book where there was a simple outline of the plan of salvation accompanied by verses from Romans and of course, John 3.16. Suddenly, it made sense to her. There was no preacher, no commentary, but it was clear. Sin was sin. All have sinned. The gift of God is a gift and it comes through Jesus Christ. Whoever believes shall be saved. The rest of the city of Moscow was celebrating Women's Day in groups and at parties. But being ill, this 20-year-old girl was alone with a Bible. She prayed that day to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And she will never be alone again. We have a story to tell to the nations. That story is contained in the Word of God. That word of God changes people's lives. Some of those people are communist police officers who become national preachers. Some of those people are children who grow up to be missionaries. And some of those people are young ladies in Russia who become, well, the one I just told the story about. <laughs> she became my wife. Now, I hope you don't think that giving a Bible to a lady is going to help her become your wife. That was not the intent of this episode. I'm saying that we need to get the Bible into people's hands and trust him to speak to them. 
I suggest you make part of your giving budget to support the Gideons or a Bible translation organization. Maybe you could support a national preacher who is distributing Bibles to his people. Guan Duong has passed away into eternity, but there's more men like him. Gosplank is still working in that closed country. If you'd like to know what country he was from, write to me at dean at cupofgoodnews.org. That's dean at cupofgoodnews.org. I love God's word. In it, we find the power of salvation. And my friends, that is good news.